Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to dietitian Claire Wolski from the Healthy Eating Clinic about gut health and the other factors that affect your symptoms in addition to food. Welcome back to the Daily Dollop podcast, everybody. What a show it's going to be today. I'm excited for this episode. For those of you tuning in to the Dollop for the first time, my name's Kate Freeman and I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of the Healthy Eating Hub and the Healthy Eating Clinic. Very excited to have Claire back on the show today. You're a friend of the show now. I love it. So good. Second appearance. But you have heard Claire's little snippets over the few weeks when I get wrangle them all in to do it on top of their very busy days. I'm like, guys, need a snippet. Um, So welcome back, Claire. Thanks very much for having me. No worries. So For those of you who haven't caught the previous episode with Claire, Claire Wolski is an accredited practicing dietitian. She's my first ever dietitian I hired. She's still with me seven years later. That's great. I must be such a nice person to have you still (laughs) waiting around. And you're so modest too. (laughs) I know. I do regularly think I'm like, why is she still here? I'm happy that she is, but good. (laughs) It's very good. She's... Got seven years experience, um, been with me for seven years. She's amazing and she's actually our gut health expert. And so she spends a lot of time working with clients on gut health. And so literally this episode came out today because I popped my head into your office. Yep. And I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. So, and I said to her, what do you want to talk about with gut health? And she was like, oh, I actually want to talk through other factors that affect your symptoms that aren't food. Yeah. So why? Why do you want to talk about that? Well, I often find that when I'm working with a client around gastrointestinal health, specifically for a condition or they're just inquiring about overall gut health, food is one really important factor of that. And that's certainly my area of expertise is kind of looking at, well, what possible food factors can contribute to the symptoms you're getting in different parts of your gastrointestinal tract. But nothing exists in isolation. And The gastrointestinal tract is an incredibly complex piece of machinery or quite a few bits of machinery all joined together. And then that's also within your whole body. So we've also got your immune system to be dealing with, your nervous system, your uh, reproductive system. All of that is all happening within your body at once. And I think there's lots of elements of those different things that can influence how you feel gastrointestinally and what's happening with your bowel movements and, and all of that. So I think while it's good to understand the food side of things, sometimes that's not the a whole story. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of then knowing that if you're making, say, changes from the food perspective, but the results aren't what you expected them to be mm. from those changes, that obviously knowing that there's these other factors can sort of help with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, a big part of food culture these days is around um, food as medicine, which I think is fantastic, Look, taking a sort of preventative health perspective. But as a result, sometimes that can mean that we we place a lot of pressure on our food or mm. a lot of emphasis on food to be contributing to how we feel. And there are so many factors that affect how you feel. 
um, that I think sometimes that can be a little bit unfair on just food on its own. Yes. Um, so we want to take our health in a holistic view as much as possible and consider what else could be contributing along with food. Yeah, I think that that's really true. I've certainly noticed that in the last sort of five years or so in the space of nutrition that lots of food gets blamed for lots of things. Yeah. Really random story that comes to mind is a lady who had a, a sore neck and um, she was at a nutrition presentation that I gave and I had some food out displaying portion sizes um, of different foods, so like chicken and tofu and rice and pasta. And she pointed at the pasta and she was like, oh, I ate that the other day and then my neck got sore. Mm. She's like, do you think it's the pasta? And I, I had to almost stifle a little chuckle because I was like, no, I, I, I don't think yeah, it's probably the pasta. Not. <laughs> yeah, because – but I think – and it's not to make her silly, but – No, I actually fully can relate to the fact that she would – think that because there's so much online that we read that does blame food for different things. Yeah, and particularly online information, there's there's lots of perspectives out there about what your body could be reacting to or mm. or the parts of the food that it could be reacting to, but when we look at the evidence and try and take that really evidence-based approach and give people like um as focused approach on on all the factors that affect health sometimes it's not just food there's Mm. there's other things yeah Yeah. awesome so you know I always like to clarify the context in which we'll get stuck into the discussion and I know you know that when we sort of look at the field of gut health that we can look at just overall maximizing gut well-being and Mm. health for just you know good longevity and, and feeling great in your life but then there's also gut health, but it's it's more tailored nutrition because you're managing an, a, a disease or functional disorder. So what would you say would be the context for your advice today? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. So mm. certainly the things that we're going to dive into are absolutely applicable for optimal gut health and well-being across the broad population. Mm. But certainly with some underlying conditions, things like IBS, even for people who have inflammatory bowel disease, some of these factors can be quite influencing on how they feel. And I think that's, um, so what I I guess I'd say is a bit of both. Yeah. And wherever you're at, I think the more general, if you can take a few things that that help you think about the broader context of your bowel health and your gut health, great. If you've got a condition, I think it's really worth talking to someone on an individual basis. Yeah, yeah, Mm. absolutely. So, all right, so what are the other factors that affect gut health that aren't food. Yeah. Well, I suppose the four really big ones that I wanted to get into were fluid, Mm -hmm. our gut bacteria, the relationship between our gut and our brain, and also physical activity. Yeah. So a few things to kind of dive into. Yeah, yeah. So with the fluid, we're kind of thinking – we're sort of tackling that as a separate thing to food. Why would you separate that out? Um, Simply because, well, a lot of the time when we think about food, we often think about water – and our fluid consumption quite differently. So mm. we think about eating a lunch, but we're not then potentially as conscious of how many glasses of water we have when we're sitting down to lunch yeah, or right. how much we're eating across the day, drinking across the day. And that's probably one of the, the most common 
habits that many of my clients talk about is the statement of like, oh, I don't drink enough water. And I think when we've all heard that messaging um, throughout our lives of like, oh, I need to hit two litres of water, Mm. um, it can feel like, oh, I've got to get to this particular point and I'm not getting to this particular point. And for some people, I think it's quite valuable to put a little bit of focus on our fluid intake. Mm. Um, For others, like it might not be the most important thing that they need to think about for their health. But particularly if you find that your bowel movements are a little bit towards constipation, so maybe you're not having a bowel movement every day or when you do have a bowel movement, you um, are sitting on the toilet for a while, straining, yeah. finding that you're not fully evacuated. Yeah. All those sorts of things can be indicators that your body might just be needing more fluid mm. comparative to how much fibre is coming in. Right. Um, and that's the thing. It's while you might be um, meeting a particular literage of water in the day, it's got a lot to do with how much fibre is coming in. So if you're eating lots of soluble fibres mm. from grains, and legumes and those sorts of things, um, then those soluble fibres bind to the water in your large intestine and move your poo through the large intestine a little bit slower. So that means you've got more time to absorb the water, Mm. which means you can end up with a slightly more dry stool. Right. Um, But if we can compensate for that with having enough fluid and staying really well hydrated consistently across the day, Mm. the chances of that drying your stool out or drying your poo out are much lower. Yeah. And I suppose if you've got someone who's is trying to make a concerted effort with their fiber and and their diet thinking I actually eat that well like I don't know why and they just haven't maybe thought about the fact that maybe their fluid intake isn't enough. Yeah. For them, yeah. And a lot of the recommendations around like if you are constipated, you need to up your fiber. A lot of what we gravitate towards is fiber supplements and mm. psyllium husk and those easy things you can add in, which are fantastic, but they're also really high sources of soluble fiber. So we need to be upping our water with that to to have the impact. Yeah, great. So something that someone could do, I guess practically from this would be to just like maybe track their water intake over time yes. to get an idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Tracking your water intake, being conscious that um, beverages like tea do contribute to your fluid intake mm. um, and that there is water in your food, but it, tracking your actual glasses of water can be the most effective kind of place to start. Yeah, awesome. So next one, gut bacteria. Mm. Tell me about that. Well, gut bacteria is a huge area of research at mm. the moment and I think we are really only just scratching the surface of how how the bacteria in our body affect our health in a myriad of ways. So I'm quite confident we'll look back in 10 years and think, my gosh, we didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but what we do know about gut bacteria is that it has a pretty big impact on the consistency of your bowel movement. Right. And to some extent that can be um, irrespective of what's going in from a food Interesting. Dynamic. So yeah. if you have, uh, if you've gone through a course of antibiotics, had a really big change in diet, had a form of gastroenteritis or form of infection, then that can change the balance of the bacteria in your gut. And that might result in a greater level of fermentation. So a lot more gas being produced and you're passing more wind, mm. which might then result in looser bowel movements. Um, or it can slow the movement of things down. And we can be seeing people err a little bit more towards the um, difficult to pass bowel movements. Um, right. Yeah. So 
while there is still limited evidence on exactly which bacteria are going to be helpful for which conditions, that yep. evidence is they're starting to get a little bit of um, research around it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, which for me, as I'm massive nerd, I'm like, really? Oh, okay, this bacteria and that bacteria. And what we're finding, um, and I think the research is indicating, is that we want to get strain specific with our bacteria. Yeah, right. So the analogy that someone gave me that I think hits it on the head is that while you might have a species of bacteria, like mm-hmm. Lactobacillus casei or Bifidobacterium lactus, that's the species similar to the way you would say it's a, it's a species of dog. Yeah. And then the strain is differentiating between the different breeds of dog or the different ways that the bacteria interact. Oh. So a golden... Breeds re- of bacteria. I know. I know. What the heck? So like a golden retriever is a very different dog to a shih tzu or a <laughs> dash hound yep. and very different to um, like an Irish wolfhound. So they do different things. They've been bred for different things. And yeah, that's right. why we want to kind of get into the strain specific when you're looking at probiotics. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if someone wanted to find out more about this, obviously knowing the knowledge is limited in this area, what do they do? I'd probably suggest chatting to a dietitian or having a chat to um, a pharmacist about what might be best in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So they're actually going to be sort of specifically looking for a probiotic of a a particular strain. They might. Yeah. Yeah, And you want to be getting a probiotic that's got a high enough volume of the bacteria. And you could talk someone through that as a dietitian of choice. I can and I do. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) So I've put a link to Claire in the show notes, Mm. her about me page on the website if you want to check in with her. Okay, so I feel like we could talk about this for forever. <laughs> I could. So the next thing, this gut-brain axis that you mentioned, tell me about this. So we've got a very, very strong connection between our brain and our gut. Yes. And they are sending signals back and forth all the time. Right. And sometimes that means, well, well for some people, that connection can be a little bit stronger than for others. Mm. So you could take two people who have the same amount of gas being produced in their large intestine, Mm -hmm. but one person experiences that as like, yeah, this is pretty normal, just maybe passing a bit of wind, but I feel fine. And another person experienced that as like churning and discomfort and abdominal pain. And then, so it's not necessarily what's going on within, it's how we're experiencing that. Wow. (laughs) Boom. Boom. That's like it's full of sensory experience that's just differing between people. Yeah. Excellent. And I think that's – so that's certainly one thing and tied in with physical activity is that when we're moving that's going to stimulate the nervous system of the muscles of the bowel as well. Mm. So the gut-brain axis and stress – Um, So when we experience stress, we might be getting worse symptoms Um, and then the impact of physical activity on the neurological action of the bowel is going to all have an impact on how you feel and then as a result um, your reported sense of gut health. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading this paper on gut health and I'm probably not going to describe it very well but it talked about like abdominal postural awareness yeah, and that even around, particularly around bloating and distension, people's experience of how their, their abdominal muscles feel affect all about whether they are distended or not, even if there's no actual gas production in their gut. That's right. Yeah. See that? And then, or there could be gut like pressing on muscles. Anyway, 
I just, I feel like, whoa, I don't even understand. Yeah. And I do think that's something, again, I would say is not my area of expertise, but there's Mm. really good evidence that that is a factor. And there's some, I listened to a really interesting webinar a couple of weeks ago about using hypnotherapy as a management tool around IBS. Interesting. Which I would have gone, oh, that's that's a bit left of centre, but there's some good evidence behind it. So Mm. I think it's a real testament to the fact that it's good to take a broad net when you're considering how do I feel better gastrointestinally. Yeah, so certainly managing things like stress and anxiety can go a long way to helping manage gut symptoms. Yes, yeah, yeah. stress and anxiety. I think having good toileting routines mm. um, and being able to relax around the whole process of passing a bowel movement and a poo. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just so cathartic just to say, say that yeah. word. Yeah, do a poo. Um, Great. And then also having good routines around being physically active, using your muscles um, and and allowing things to be encouraged by that physical activity as well. Yeah, I think it, that's quite common in marathon runners. Hey, I remember running my um, first 21 Ks. Yep. Last two Ks, hey. Yep. There was one sitting right there and I was like, oh my gosh, I got a turtle head poking oh. out. <laughs> that's you what my husband would say. I can't believe I just said that. But it was well, right mate, there. You didn't give a fun fact, but... I can. Great. I've had that experience mid-run. Yeah. Of having to just, oh, I got to go. You got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Find a bush. Yeah. So <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much for your brain on today's show. I wish we could chat more, but we'll have to get her back on. So holler on social media being like, bring Claire back. Start a revolution. <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you for having me. Love and picking your brain. Thanks for letting me talk for so long. So good. Have an awesome day, team, and we'll catch you in the next episode. After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My healthy eating program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods, or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode.